The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Oh, good morning, everyone. Thanks for having us along. Um, I bring a welcome from Rosalie uh, Baptist Church down in Brisbane. Uh, we love you guys, pray for you guys, and uh, partner in the gospel together with you. And it's exciting to be here today uh, to help out Jimmy so he could have some time off this week. Um, so that's really cool. Um, you are working through Philippians, and so I think you started last week, um, and uh, that's an exciting and beautiful book in the Bible, and so we're going to dig into that today. Look, over the last couple of years, um, I've actually started doing something I hadn't really done in my life. I've started listening to audiobooks, um, and I generally listen to novels uh, because I've always loved stories, and to me... I don't really focus on one particular genre. The, the genre of the novel doesn't matter. It could be science fiction, it could be fantasy, it could be dystopian, it could be a classic novel. What I love are the stories. I love the arc of the story and seeing how the author brings all the different threads together in these moments of crescendo where everything just seems to fall into place. And one of the things you notice in almost all of these stories is that the journey of the main character is often driven by two different forces. The first force is the decisions that they make. You know those fork-in-the-road moments where they have to make a choice. They might agonise over these choices, they might weigh up the pros and the cons, but in the end, they choose. And as they choose, the story moves forward and they have to deal and live with the consequences of their choices or maybe they get um, the the chance to choose their own path as they go. The second force are the things that happen to the main character, maybe through no fault of their own. Various events transpire and they are caught up in the happenings the death of a loved one, their country being conquered, being born into poverty or wealth, a betrayal, sickness, being sold into slavery. And as the story moves forward, they find themselves being moved by the powers around them rather than being moved by their own choices and their own wills. The really good stories are those that set these two forces in motion and as readers we're taken on a bit of a journey, a roller coaster as the characters wrestle through the course of their lives. Without doubt, the most frustrating things for the characters in these stories are those things that are uh, impacted by that second force, the things that they have no say over, the things that they have no control over those things that happen to them rather than the things they make happen. Heroes of the story tend to prefer carving out their own destiny rather than accepting their fate. And it should come as no surprise to us that most of us are no different. I'm not sure whether you've thought about your life in the same way as this or not, but our lives are pretty much the product of these two same forces, decisions that we have made and things that have happened to us. You are where you are today in life because of some combination of a bunch of choices you have made 
and a bunch of things that were out of your control. And like so many main characters in epic stories, most of us prefer to be in control. We like to think that we have had the power to choose that we can author our own destinies. Not too many of us like the feeling of being at the whim of other people, at the mercy of random happenings. The kids are with us today and it's one of those things that as kids, as we get older and older, we wrestle with. We're still under the roof of our parents Parents are still making decisions that impact on our lives, yet we feel like we've got a bit more to contribute. We feel like we should be making decisions for ourselves. And we wrestle with that because we don't like being at the whim of other people's decisions. And this is why we always fight for independence and autonomy and anything that takes away our rights Anything that takes away our capacity to decide for ourselves, our free will choices, we see as something to be avoided at all costs. Winning at life is keeping yourself in control of your life, remaining independent and in charge. The problem that we have, especially as followers of Jesus, is when we pick up our Bibles we find, particularly in the New Testament, particularly amongst those in the early church, they often found themselves at the mercy of the various forces around them. The controlling powers of Jewish leadership or the Roman Empire, and not to mention just a whole bunch of average citizens who were kind of hell-bound on persecuting the church. Often we find the apostles other members of the church, forced into situations against their own will. And this is kind of to be expected in the New Testament. Think about the way that Jesus Christ um, approached Peter on the beach in John 21 after he'd been raised from the dead. This is what he said to Peter. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, independence, autonomy. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He's not talking about going to an old folks home. He's talking about the fact that Peter's life pretty much from this point forward would be determined by forces at play rather than the decisions that Peter was going to make for himself. A time would come where his life and the end of his life would be determined by other people. Now, we might think this is a specific and unique call just for Peter, but the reality is when we examine what the Scriptures teach about what we Christians are to expect from the world, nowhere, nowhere are we guaranteed a life of independence and autonomy. So what are we to do? We long for lives of autonomy and independence. We long to make the decisions for ourselves. But how are we to think of our lives when stuff happens to us that is outside of our control? How are churches supposed to react when stuff happens that is outside of their control? How can any good come from losing 
our autonomy and independence? And how can we face all of those questions in the knowledge that that's probably the likely scenario for us? We follow Jesus, like Peter, we may end up in situations where other people are determining what happens to us. And so this morning, as we continue in this series in Philippians, we're going to see that even if this stuff happens that robs us of our independence and autonomy, even if things seem out of control in our lives, our God is more than able to work for his glory and for our good. Last week, Jimmy unpacked the glorious joy of gospel partnership. This little church in Philippi, planted by Paul with people such as a wealthy businesswoman, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a suicidal jailer, great start, had demonstrated their passionate love for Jesus by partnering with Paul in gospel ministry. And at the time of writing this letter, Paul was actually in prison in Rome probably under house arrest in about the year 62 AD as he awaited um, being put on trial before the Roman authorities. And yet here, uh, in verse 7 of chapter 1 last week, Paul rejoiced that the church in Philippi had still chosen to partner with him even though he was in prison. And they were actually partaking of the grace of Paul being in prison. Basically, this is what they'd done. They had collected an offering, a gift, and they'd sent it to Paul with a man named Epaphroditus, who now carried this letter back to the people from Paul. Paul was suffering in prison, so this church in Philippi said, we will suffer as well. And they sacrificially gave uh, of their hard-earned money in order to supply Paul with what he needed in his time of trial. In this, their deep concern, their deep love and care for Paul was evident as they identified with him in his imprisonment. And it is uh, Paul's imprisonment that once again comes into view in our passage today. Because Paul is responding to their gift responding to the fact that they have a deep concern for him, that they feel his suffering and they have chosen to suffer alongside him. It's like they have communicated with him through their gifts saying, Paul, we're so sad that you are in chains, but we're not ashamed of you and we will stick by you no matter what happens. To which Paul has replied with thankfulness and joy in verses 1 to 11, But here in verse 12, he responds by revealing something stunning. This is what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, notice what Paul says there. What has happened to me? The language is passive. Paul understands that a whole bunch of stuff has happened to him over which he had no control. If you read the last few chapters of the book of Acts, the historical events that lead up to Paul's imprisonment in Rome, you will see what he is talking about. You will see these events, these crazy events. This is what happens. 
Paul was preaching in the temple in Jerusalem and he was arrested and beaten by Jewish leaders. From there, he was taken into Roman custody. From there, he was tried before various Roman uh, governing authorities. Then some people try to assassinate him and he survives an assassination plot. And so he's put on a ship bound for Rome and as he's traveling, he gets shipwrecked, stranded on the island of Malta before he finally gets on another ship, ends up in Rome where he sat languishing in prison awaiting trial. Not one step along that way Paul had any control over. In terms of his independence and autonomy, he has very little left. From the time of his ministry in Jerusalem to here in prison, decisions have been made for him and he has been at the mercy of the powerful people around him. Now, sure, there was a couple of times where Paul appealed to his Roman citizenship in order to move things in a different direction, but for the most part, he's endured a series of events that were largely outside of his control. And yet, listen again to what he says, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Remember the Philippians had sent him their gifts because he, they were moved by the difficulty of his situation, moved um, in compassion for his imprisonment. Well, while Paul is joyously grateful for their gift and for their Christ-like compassion and for the way that they had partnered with him in his imprisonment, he doesn't want them to feel sorry for him. He doesn't want them to feel as though his mission has been curtailed since he has lost his independence. Paul can see the bigger picture and he wants the Philippian church to see it as well. He can see that what has happened to him, that the series of events by which he found himself at the mercy of Roman justice, while it may not have been of his choosing, had served a greater purpose, the advancement of the gospel. And in verses 13 and 14, he explains two beautiful ways in which his imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. Firstly, verse 13, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, you see, it's unlikely that the Romans would have shoved Paul in prison, or anyone really, and, and kept them there awaiting trial simply because they were a Christian. It's more than likely that the formal charges being brought against Paul were something to do with disturbing the Roman peace. Back in Jerusalem, Paul had preached in the temple, but the Jews had re revolted against that. They had raised up, they caused a massive scene. And any time that Paul was sort of anywhere near a trial, the Jews would turn up, they would cause a rabble because they wanted Paul arrested. They wanted Paul executed. And so they were stirring up trouble so that they, and blaming Paul for it and his gospel preaching so that the Romans would go, let's get this troublemaker and kill him. 
That's what they wanted. So everywhere that Paul went, the Jews stirred up trouble. And that's why Paul is in prison. So if you are an imperial guard and you're turning up to guard Paul today, your orders, your understanding of why he is in prison is because he is a troublemaker. He's a troublemaker. He disturbs Roman peace, the thing that everyone kind of worshipped in Rome, this whole idea that Rome had brought peace to Europe. Paul was one who was a troublemaker. He was disturbing. So you're turning up in a bad mood. You don't like this guy. But Paul says that the whole imperial guard and all the rest, by which he probably means other important people, maybe senators, maybe other people, part of the judicial system, all those people had come to know that his imprisonment was for Christ. It wasn't because he was a troublemaker. It was because he was proclaiming Jesus as the Christ. This is huge because this means suddenly people are turning up to guard Paul and instead of being angry at him, instead of being having a negative view of who this guy is, suddenly it seems, reading between the lines, that they're pretty interested in why Paul is in prison for Christ. And Paul has an opportunity to tell them about why he's in prison for Christ. So yes, all of this bad stuff has happened to Paul. He's lost his independence. He's lost his autonomy. Other people have told him where he needs to be and they've locked him in chains in a house so that he can't escape. And yet Paul can see how Jesus is still at work. It gave Paul an opportunity to give a glorious account of Jesus and to proclaim the salvation that is freely available to him. Many, many guards, many, many people heard the gospel while Paul was imprisoned in a house in Rome. Paul rejoices in that. Secondly, in verse 14... He says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul's in the house, locked up in Rome, and the guard is coming to him, and he's preaching the gospel to them, and they know that he's there because of Christ. But out in the churches, out in the world, all the people who sort of were part of churches that Paul had planted right across his missionary journeys... Paul's hearing reports that there's greater boldness in gospel proclamation. What's kind of happening here? Perhaps it's the case that they saw Paul in prison and they went, man, that guy is so committed to proclaiming Jesus that he's prepared to be imprisoned for it. What excuse do I have? What excuse do I have? And so they've become more bold. Or maybe they've gone, Paul's not out here to preach the gospel anymore. He can't travel around the world. We need to start sending people out to preach the gospel. So the gospel keeps going even if Paul's trapped in one place. And so for one of these two reasons, people are becoming more bold. And Paul's like, well, if me being stuck in this house means that there's 500 more preachers out there, more power to them. I'll stay here for longer. That's his attitude. He sees that even though this bad stuff has happened to him, even though he's trapped in a situation without independence or autonomy, the gospel is being advanced. People are bold 
in their gospel proclamation. Paul sees his imprisonment has inspired a new wave of gospel zeal amongst churches and he rejoices for it. So do you see here how Paul is able to look beyond that series of crazy events that have dominated his life over the last few years? How he has recognised that while he has lost so much of his independence and autonomy, while he has had to suffer a fate determined by other people around him, he can see the majestic and glorious hand of God in what has happened to him. Paul may have been a passive passenger throughout a lot of this journey, but God had not been passive at all. He was active in using those events in Paul's life to advance the gospel. And this is where we might need to embrace Paul's way of being able to see the bigger picture. Because as I said, none of us really like having stuff happen to us. None of us like having our independence or autonomy taken from us. None of us like feeling as though we are passive passengers in a series of chaotic events over which we have no control. And any time we're in a season of confusion, chaos, catastrophe, we're more than likely to struggle to feel as though any good can come out of it. But while there are times where we will be made passive in life, God is never passive. God is always at work. To be honest, Paul's words have really struck a nerve with me as I've been preparing this message. Because my family is kind of right in the middle of one of those seasons right now. For us, this year has seen quarantine, sickness, surgeries, disappointments, floods, unforeseen financial costs, um, other people letting us down. And on top of it all, we've just been told that we have to move house after only having lived in the place we are now for a year, right in the middle of peak assessment time for our grade 11 and 12 daughters. We've chosen none of it. But all of it has added to our struggles as a family in one way or another. So I know... Just how easy it is to feel like a passive passenger on a chaotic ride. And we know how hard it is to feel like anything good could come of this. How hard it is to actually lift our eyes in the middle of the mess and trust that God is active. But this is what faith in Jesus calls us to do. Paul says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And while we might never see the tangible ways in which God is active to advance the gospel in the midst of our chaos, our faith in Jesus calls us to trust that he is. He is even if we can't see it. It's the humbling realisation that my independence and autonomy come a distant second to the ultimate priority of the gospel going forward. So, let's try and make this as practical as we can. When you feel like you're trapped, 
and circumstances beyond your control, know that the gospel's not trapped with you. God is making the way clear for his word, even, even if our way is blocked. When you are stuck um, or struck with another disappointment, another failure, another injustice committed against you, know that the gospel is not frustrated by your weakness. God is mighty to save even if we feel powerless. And when you look out at a world and you fear the growing tide that seems to be pushing our society away from Jesus, ABS statistics came out this week saying less and less people are claiming have any sort of Christian affiliation. When things seem to be pushing against the church, pushing against Christianity, know that the gospel is still the power of God for salvation. God is moving history forward in gospel triumph, even if we can't see it in this current moment in history. In times of trial, it's necessary to weep. It's necessary to lament. It's necessary to have people come alongside you and partner with you in that struggle. But it's also necessary to lift our eyes to the bigger and the beautiful work of God, to yearn to see how God is advancing the gospel even in the midst of your trial. One of the most passionate and effective Christians I've known was a guy who was a Vietnam veteran suffered PTSD, constantly having to have his medication adjusted so that he could remain at a good base level. So every year or so, he would end up in hospital, in the psych ward, um, where he was getting his medication adjusted and finding a new baseline. I'd go and visit him. And I reckon nine times out of ten that I'd go and visit him, I found him in the common room sitting down talking to someone about Jesus. This has happened to him. He was conscripted, he didn't choose it. He didn't choose to get PTSD from that war. He didn't choose to have all the struggles that went along with it. He didn't choose to have it. There he was, sitting at a table, sharing with someone about Jesus. I mean, that's what it is. That's what Paul does. This has happened to me. How can it advance the gospel? Because he just blatantly trusts that God is at work in the midst of his passiveness. God is active to advance the gospel. So he just looked for opportunities to see that happen. All of this might cause us to ask, how? But how, Paul? How can you be so confident that the gospel is advancing? So confident that God will accomplish his plan, even through the difficulties and frustrations that you're facing? Because while it seems great in theory, that's a great theory. I saw lots of nodding and mmm. That's a great theory, isn't it? In practice, it's Pretty hard. When you're in the middle of that chaos, we need something tangible to tell us, yes, yes. Because it's really easy just to be jaded, to be angry, to feel hopeless. We need something tangible. And in verse 15, in a kind of random passage, we're actually given a clue. Look from verse 15. Remember, he's just said that people have got bold and they're out there preaching the gospel. This is what he said, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. 
The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. It seems that not only supporters of Paul have become more bold to speak the gospel, but so too had enemies of Paul. It seems that Paul's imprisonment had enabled some people around the churches to use the fact that Paul wasn't on the scene anymore as an opportunity to push their own claim for leadership in the church. People whose motives were not pure, but selfish. Rather, they started preaching Christ out of a sense of envy and rivalry. Envious of what Paul had in his leadership, making themselves rivals to him, seeking to promote themselves ahead of him, seeking to kick him while he was down, so to speak. But Paul goes on to say in verse 18, this is stunning. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed And in that, I rejoice. In other words, Paul can even see a reason to rejoice when people use his misfortune as a springboard for their own advancement, when people use the gospel as a way of bringing glory to themselves instead of God. Why on earth would Paul rejoice at such corrupt gospel preaching? What on earth is happening here? How can Paul rejoice that envious and selfish preachers were boldly running around preaching the gospel? Surely their impure motives uh, corrupts their message, disqualifies them from leadership in the church. We read the New Testament and there's no doubt that the New Testament clearly teaches that the character, motives and lifestyle of a minister are super important. And as churches, we should care deeply that the gospel is preached from pure motives. But Paul is clear here. Wherever Christ is proclaimed, there is call for rejoicing regardless of the motives of the preacher. Because in the message of Christ, the gospel is the real power of God for salvation. Just as the gospel is not held back by the circumstances of our lives, neither is it held back by the impurity of the preacher. The gospel is objectively powerful to save. It is objectively true. It is the truth of Christ which carries the power to bring people from darkness to life, not the awesomeness of the preacher. Get this, there are people out there whose sole motivation for preaching the gospel is to promote themselves at the expense of Paul, and Paul rejoices. He rejoices. I imagine that every time somebody came to visit Paul in prison and said, oh, do you know that bozo down in, you know, wherever, Colossae or somewhere, the one that hates you has started to preach Jesus, and telling everyone that you're in prison and you're useless and you're hopeless, um, and he's so much better 
And he's got so much better to say. He's preaching Jesus. I imagine Paul has a cheeky little grin on his face. I don't care what he says about me. If he's saying truths about Jesus, that's all I care about. Because the message of Jesus is going out. As long as the preacher declares the truth of the gospel, Paul knows that somebody can get saved. Get this. Every single person who has ever been saved or who will ever be saved is a result of Christ being proclaimed. Every one of your salvation stories here is slightly different in some way. But every salvation story includes you hearing about Jesus, more than likely from somebody else. So why shouldn't we rejoice when Christ is preached? Even if we don't share the same doctrines as the preacher. Even if the preacher has horrible motives. Even if the preacher isn't saved himself. We would never say that any of it is ideal. We would never actively campaign um, to have a, a lousy motived preacher in our church. We would always strive to have a better character and a better calibre in our preacher. We never aim to be flippant about those we choose to preach to us. But out there in the world where we don't have any say in how Christ is being preached, Christ is preached, God is powerful to save. Um, a few years back, renowned atheist Richard Dawkins appeared on ABC's Q&A. Uh, and he was on there. And as part of his argument against faith, against Christianity in particular, he took a moment to kind of mockingly ridicule the central message of Christianity. And he said... Imagine believing in something, believing in a God who, when he looked down at the world and, and saw human sinfulness, thought the only way he could do anything about it was to take on human form and suffer at the hands of people's sinfulness and die in their place. I mean, how cruel and twisted and depraved is that? That's what he said. Richard Dawkins preached the truth of the gospel in a mocking way on Australian television, and everybody heard it. And do you know what? Do you know what's so just crazy? Someone could have got saved from hearing that. Imagine someone sitting at home and going, is that really what Christians believe? I mean, the host of the show turned and went, isn't that, like, admirable? <laughs> isn't that, like, sacrificial and, and, and beautiful? And he said, well, if you think so, then you can have it, is kind of was his response. Maybe someone was sitting at home going... I thought Christianity was all about laws and rules to follow. Are you telling me that God died for me? And maybe they went and looked into it. I don't know, but it's possible because it's the truth of Jesus that saves, not the awesomeness of the preacher. Perhaps you here today, perhaps you were saved under a ministry that has now been revealed as a sham. Perhaps the person who led you to Christ no longer follows Jesus. Perhaps the preacher who first proclaimed Christ to you was secretly morally bankrupt. Perhaps the person who first preached Christ to you has changed their theology and embraced heresies. While all of this is tragic, none of it changes the saving work that Jesus has done 
in your life. Your salvation is not tainted by their failures because they didn't save you. Jesus saved you. Only Christ. And this is what can encourage us in our desire to trust that God is at work despite our circumstances being less than ideal. Because the gospel is objectively powerful to save. And so even my, if my life is perpetually frustrated, even if everything seems to go wrong, if the truths of the gospel are proclaimed, then there is a reason for rejoicing. And the reality is people can get saved. Despite having his independence and autonomy stolen from him while he languished in prison, awaiting trial in front of powerful people who could end his life with a word, Paul could rejoice that while he was a passive passenger, God was not passive. God was active to advance the gospel of Jesus, regardless of what happened to Paul. And it's this advancement of the gospel, an increase in the preaching of Christ, that really sparked Paul's joy. Even if those preaching were seeking to sink their boot into him, because the message of Christ is objectively powerful to save. The gospel can save even if the gospel preacher is weak and broken. Paul unpacks all of this to the Philippian church because he wants to fuel their partnership in the gospel. He wants them to keep partnering with him no matter what they see happen to him while he languishes in prison, no matter what they see happen in his future. No matter what they hear about him as other people gossip and moan about Paul, no matter what any of those selfish preachers might say, no matter what judgments Rome brings about him, no matter whether they pronounce life or death over him, keep partnering in the gospel because it's not about Paul. It's about Christ. And Paul will rejoice. Next week, I'm pretty sure Jimmy will tell you, Paul doesn't care whether he lives or dies, only Christ. And that's what Paul's on about. Keep partnering in the gospel church in Philippi because it's not about Paul, it's about Christ. And anything you do to advance Christ is powerful in this world. <coughs> and this is the challenge to us as well. No matter what happens to us, no matter what happens to this church, no, what hap- no matter what happens to Pastor Jimmy, no, what, no matter what the world starts to say about your faith, no matter what laws our governments might make, whatever happens, we're to trust that Jesus Christ is using it to advance his gospel. And wherever the gospel is advancing, wherever Christ is being preached, we have every reason to hope and every reason to rejoice Because it is the words of Christ, the message of Christ, the gospel that Jesus Christ took on human flesh, came and bore the full weight of your sin and my sin and human sin on the cross and triumphed over the grave and sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven and intercedes for us today. It is that truth that is the power to save I may have been 
a boring preacher this morning. I may have been an average preacher this morning, but that truth, remember that, because that is the truth that can save. So we keep partnering in the gospel, no matter what happens to us, because God is always at work to see his gospel advance. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.